Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond Aromatics podcast, brought to you by the National Association for Holistic Aromatherapy. I'm your host, Savannah Rose. You can learn more about Naha by visiting our website at naha.org or by finding us on Facebook at Aromatherapy Community or on Instagram at Beyond Aromatics. All right, enjoy the show. Today we have on special guest Jaw Skipper. Jaw is a passionate field botanist that has worked on several conservation and ecological projects in both the Mediterranean and mountainous ecosystems to improve the plant understanding. For the past seven years, he has taught field botany regularly in the French Alps for the ELPM Leones School of Medicinal Plants. Through his experience in growing up on a medicinal plant farm, he has taken a special interest in the integration of botanical skills and knowledge with the herbal and aromatherapeutic world. We have him on today to talk about essential oil identification and how aromatherapy distinguished itself from botany and herbalistry. All right, enjoy the show. John, where are you talking to us from? I'm uh, currently in New Mexico, northern New Mexico. Um, in a place called Taos, for people that may know it. Super awesome. So is that where you usually are, full-time? Uh, no, I, I, I live mainly in between France, so the Mediterranean French uh, countryside near Montpellier and in the Ardèche, and uh, sometimes in England as well, uh, uh, in the Cambridge area. And right now, I've been uh, in America for a while, and uh, hopefully I'll be in America for the next uh, couple of years, so... Uh, really excited to discover the scene here, the plants and the people. Oh, awesome. In New Mexico, that's high on my list of places to visit. I love um, kind of the deserty area and, uh, mm-hmm. of course, the West Coast. I love the mountains. That's why I found myself in Idaho. So awesome yeah. place. So uh, you're a master of botany. But you are talking to us today about essential oil identification yeah. and um, how aromatherapy kind of distinguished itself and maybe some of the problems that led to. So uh, what got you into essential oils in the first place? So I have uh, um, I've had a strong interest for uh, taxonomy and uh, the plant sciences since I'm, I'm 15. And uh, so uh, more of a, the scientific aspect of how plants are related to each other in the sense uh, a bit in the way um, that each species, you know, us included, we have a Latin name. So we are, you know, Homo uh, sapiens. And then, um, and then so you have scientists that worked on uh, criteria to distinguish every species. And so that's my gate of entry was really uh, having fun with that, using the tools of botanists, which are the floras, and roaming around the French countryside trying to identify it all which from plant species. And so that's how it started. That's how I got into plants. It was kind of this game of collecting and, and getting to recognize all the, the cool plants that are around me. And um, little by little, because the botany world is such a small one, you know, it's a really tight community and it often overlaps with uh, the herbalistry world. So a lot of people that got into botany will like transfer, at least in France, will also have a foot in, uh, in herbalistry or, or farming and and, and uh, all, all conservation and so this small community kind of uh, was a melting pot and that's how I got introduced to to start off with herbalistry 
So, you know, the use of medicinal plants. So that was really cool because I was already recognizing all the wild plants around me. And now I could add, you know, value and, and usage to them. And so slowly I became a teacher um, from the age of 19 onwards uh, for the herbal school of, of medicinal plants in Lyon, which is the largest or the second largest, I think, medicinal plant school in, in France. And so I was teaching on the field to just, you know, a vast array of people, you know, from all ages and backgrounds, how to recognize the wild plants safely before they could use them for their herbal preparations. And that slowly led me, you know, one thing leads to another and the herbal history is a real good gateway to, to, to oils, you know? And um, so that led me to get interested in oils. And uh, the, more, the more I researched the subject of oils, the more I realized that um, there was a huge, like huge amount of work to be done on the botanical aspects of, of essential oils, because, um, because unlike herbalistry, essential oils are highly transformed, detached product, which, uh, which you know, have uh, no botanical identification criteria left on them because it's an oil. We, we have, you know, a lot of time we buy a tea, we have the flowers, we have the leaves and everything, and we can, we can do that ourselves. But aromatherapy is a lot more detached from the plant itself. And, uh, and the products that they're producing in aromatherapy are very, very uh, concentrated and potent. And so the mix between the potential dangers of aromatherapy, which are very high, and the fact that the, the, the link with plants is so removed because of a transformation process kind of has created this gap in knowledge that I, 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 wasn't, I was kind of shocked in seeing. And so that's really what got me into the rabbit hole of digging in, uh, in, into plant naming and essential oils. So you identified um, kind of an interest and then you say you like identified some problems and realizations uh, yeah. to follow deeper into it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it, it, it was um, really because aromatherapy was interesting to me. You know, I, like, like most people, a lot of people in, in botany, I would have a few oils in my house and use them for various purposes. But only quite recently did I like systematically look at the, um, the supply and the quality of the botanical information and the naming information that was supplied by the main vendors, you know, very famous vendors, well-established people, and even within, uh, you know, the well-established literature about how to use essential oils, because, you know, that's, uh, my mother's a, a herbalist and aromatherapist, so, you know, I had access to all these books, and uh, kind of haphazardly, whilst I was, you know, shuffling through this information and learning myself, I just couldn't help to be shocked at the amount of uh, botanical naming errors that were that were in in these resources and in these supplies, and um, and so you know what what will often happen is that someone will make an error somewhere and he's a reference and everyone will repeat that error. But the pro mm -hmm. and, and so you end up with an accumulation of, and also the aromatherapy world is very slow at adopting botanical updates because botany is always changing and naming is always changing and uh, and so and so. That has that kind of like that jumped out to me as a botanist. That was like a, a, a like a realization. I couldn't believe it, and so I thought to myself, I was like, "Wow, that's sheesh. I need to address this." And and um, I thought to myself, "I'll just write a, an article or something." And you know, it's been addressed by a few uh, people already uh, that are doing good good work and have blogs and and written material about it. So I thought maybe I'll I'll, I'll chip in and do the same thing. And before I knew it, I was uh, I was you know 120 pages down, <laughs> you know, work, working down all the different issues and trying to untangle those identification problems and it kind of grew from one article uh to to a, a full-on course so that's how i got into it 
So what are the current current norms around naming and identifying essential oils and uh, where were some of the problems that you noticed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question, actually, because um, as many of you must know or have heard already, essential oils, um, although they are highly potent pharmaceutical products, you know, that there's an incredible amount of um, concentrated molecules in there, that in most countries they qualify, they qualify as a supplement or a cosmetic. And, uh, and so the naming and the identification process that, that, is, you know, that goes with essential oils is, is that that is often linked with supplementation and cosmetic rules. So depending on your country, that will vary. In America, it's obviously the, the FDA that handles that side of labeling and identification. And they have a website you can go and see, and they have the accepted common names, accepted Latin names for each oil and, um, and kind of very loose guidelines. But really, the, the main... Um, kind of uh, reference point that, that is leading the way on how uh, it is acceptable and how it should be, how an oil should be identified and named is, is done by the ISO, so the International Standardization, Standardization Organism. Um, so their, their NGO, for, for, for you, that, for those that might not know about them, they're an NGO that uh, kind of group technical committees of various natures, so it could, it could be government agencies, uh, private people, experts, scientists, whoever's uh, uh, um, an authority in the domain and wants to be involved can be, and then they vote upon uh, standards and, uh, and rules, uh, well, guidelines at least, that they seem fit, deem fit, to ensure that uh, products and, and are, are, you know, are up to the standard that they should be. So for the essential business, there are two main guidelines which are really interesting for anyone that's buying, using, or, or dealing with essential oils, you know, be it, you know, the, um, the, the person like me just buying a few oils for their family or the guy or, or the person that's running a business and that wants to buy a huge amount of oils, they have two guidelines on, uh, on, on naming, which are really interesting. And so the, the first one is called Essentials Principle of Nomenclature, and it was released in 2014. And so that's kind of the rules that they establish on the minimal naming that should be required with an essential uh, with its bottle and its its packaging and its its marketing material, and so um, they state very clearly within the, their 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 standard that you know uh, you should basically you should have the common name should always be included, the Latin name so the botanical name that we'll speak about maybe further uh, later should be included if there's no common name that's an issue I find quite important. And uh, and then obviously the part of the plant, how is how is extracted, the geographic origin. So basically, the minimal they set guidelines for the minimal information that is required to be given to the client to ensure that they can distinguish between oils. And then they have a second list, which is just a list, and it's called essential nomenclature, and that was released in 2014. This one is freely available, I, I believe, and it and they reference all the accepted botanical names. So, and and the Associated common names that are accepted for each main essential oil species. Um, so that's really good material. But although those guidelines have been, so these guidelines are quite recent, but they're iterations of old, much older guidelines that date back 30 years ago. So there's already been an effort for the last 30 years to establish an inter international standard for naming of essential oils. But despite that, because the rules are so loose in many countries, such as in, in America, um, well, you find yourself with some of the biggest vendors not following them. So it means that us, the clients, we're buying highly potent 
aromatic products that you know that could be very powerful at healing us, but could also be a bit dangerous. Uh, a lot of the time, without all the information to make sure that we are actually getting what we think we are getting, and that's the issue that I, I'm trying to address, and, and the, the tools I'm, and I'm going to try to to bring up for for anyone, you know, um, to avoid that problem. And so maybe that was a bit of a long answer for for the question, but. No, that's great. And so you have, uh, so I want to kind of know a little bit more, like common name, you're Rosemary, and then your yeah. botanical name, you're Rosemary officinalis. Yeah. And so why is that just not enough or why is yeah. that not yeah. quite accurate? Yeah. So, so let, uh, what I'll propose is I can break down what I've identified as a main problem. So Imagine you come a lot of times, you know, well, this will be more kind of lower end distributors nowadays, um, even in America and in England, uh, big distributors have picked up and they're including Latin names, but there's still a hell of a lot online of distributors that are not including the Latin names. So imagine you arrive and you want to buy, let's say, rosemary essential oil, um, as you just said, and, uh, and you know, you see uh, the, the description and it just says rosemary essential and you're like, all right, great. Well, that's exactly what I want. I know I want rosemary, right? Where would the issue be for you? Well, the issue lies that without the Latin name, first of all, there's more than one species of rosemary, although rosemary of is the main one that we distill, other ones are distilled, right, in the Middle East. So, um, so that's already uh, uh, an issue. You might be getting a totally different species and the reference books you use to establish a a pathology or a treatment for your kids may not apply for the other species. So, but common name on its own is not giving you that information that the Latin name would give you. So let's assume you do have a Latin name. So you have Rosemary and the distributor says, all right, well, it's Rosemary officinalis. It's like, all right, great. Well, hey, I'm safe, right? Well, no, because Rosemary, like many other plants, especially in the Lamiaceae family and the mint family, uh, uh, has many chemotypes, right? Mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, for those who don't know, basically a chemotype is a chemical type within the same species. You can have a chemical a constituent a kind of profile of your species that is differs enough and is stable enough in its differences for it to be named in a different way. Initially, the chemotype was defined by the first most concentrated molecule. So let's say, you know, if you had... I don't know, cineol as the most concentrated molecule, your chemotype would be cineol, right? But, and if you had borneol as the most concentrated, it would be borneol. And you, but the thing is, scientists realize about the chemotypes, um, it, sometimes you could have just a tiny bit, the second molecule be, could be tiny bit higher than, uh, than, the, than the first one, than the commonly first molecule, but then everything else is very similar. So the delta, the difference between the oils is actually not that high. So in that case, the chemotypes is, is misleading. So what they're doing now, there's no real standard way of defining a chemotype, unlike botanical name where there's a, a rule that's accepted worldwide. Chemotypes is kind of a subjective thing. We use them as essential oils and they're really powerful, but the downfall of chemotypes is that there's no standard rule for it. But right now, the direction it's going is that scientists are using these uh, algorithms to, to quantify differences and stability of the constituents, and then they'd name a chemotype. And that's much better because... Um, as I said, sometimes even if your your first molecule is, is is different in concentration, it's not the same molecule that's the most concentrated. You could have a very very similar oil, so there's no real, you know, it's not really valid. But so so coming back to your question, you have the common name of rosemary, great. You have a Latin name, great. But the vendor doesn't tell you the chemotype, and so now uh, rosemary, off the top of my head, I think there's 
four main rosemary chemotypes, and they have uh, they have drastically different um, use cases. So without the chemotype, you know, you're asking for trouble again. So so um, and so all right. So now you have a chemotype. That's really good. Well, in that case, I would say that that's a, a safer bet. You know, you have everything you need. You have a common name that uh, labels you to easily identify what you're going for because it's, everyone knows common names. You have a Latin name to ensure that you're not confusing it for another species that carries the same common name, which happens a lot. And thirdly, you have the extra chemical information of a chemotype that tells you which chemotype you're dealing with so you know you're not using the wrong one for your kid's skin, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. But the, the, the thing is, so many vendors are even massive ones. I mean, I, I looked at some of the biggest oil sellers in America often omit to put chemotypes or geographic origin when it is very, very important. And, um, and so that, that can lead to massive issues. Well, can you give us some specific examples of essential oils that it really could be a problem without, yeah. without correct labeling? Yeah. So one, one typical thing, right. Uh, so the, I lived quite a bit of my life in France and I'm half French. And, uh, so when I was, um, studying herbalistry and everything, um, at the herbal school, they often recommend, you know, the internal use of essential oils is very common in France. It's developed, developed mainly in Europe, Western Europe and, and the French were pioneers in it. And in France, it's quite accepted that eucalyptus such radiata, um, could be, in, you know, ingested orally even for kids at very small doses or inhaled or inhaled. So, but, um, a very common, just as common eucalyptus that's on the market, eucalyptus globalis, which has um, um, uh, a, di a different safety profile, is much more irritating for the mucus and is not at all recommended for internal use, especially not for kids. Um, what well, bears the same common name a lot of time, you know? So that's when the Latin name is essential because, you know, Hey, I read someone somewhere online. I read in a book. Eucalyptus is awesome for throat infections, colds, coughs, whatever. I'm going to treat myself and my family with it, you know. And you go out there and you find a bottle of eucalyptus and you buy it, and it's awesome. But you know, there's there's so many eucalyptus species. First of all, and the common name is used for both uh, globus and redditor are both commonly named just eucalyptus on the bottle on the marketing. If you go on the internet, you'll find that everywhere. Well, without the Latin name, you're, you know, you're running the risk of, of creating severe irritation to, to your throat and your kid's throat. So, um, you know, a safety issue is, is real if you don't apply the Latin name properly in this case. This is just one example, but there's many. So what about like um, geographic region and maybe part of plan? Are those important to add into the yeah. labeling aspect? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. So it's actually, it's such a rabbit hole. This is because, um, it's crazy. Well, because, uh, without going too, too into detail, the, the thing with geographic origin is that the ISO, so I spoke about ISO and I studied ISO quite a lot because I think this is going to be a revolution in the way essential oils are named and identified and, and what's going to happen on the market is, is kind of what you look at what's going on in the ISO will kind of happen 10 years after in the market and, and 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 so the ISO are really um, have been identifying geographic types, stable geographic types of oils, and so they characterise them based on 
physical, uh, biochemical uh, characteristics that are stable enough uh, and accepted by, by the community, by the scientific community, to be different. And so um, that's awesome because what it means is that, you know, we obviously know, we've been know in the aromatherapy world, everyone knows that, uh, let's say, Indian sandalwood, you know, from India is different and maybe seen as superior than the, the Australian's Indian sandalwood. You know, Santamor album from Australia, you know, is often you know marketed as more sustainable because it's cultivated and not wild harvested. But a lot of people that are into perfumery and using essentials for whatever reason will uh, prefer the Indian one because it hasn't got quite the same constituents, the same smell, the same properties, right? And so that that's a well-known, established fact. So the origin in that case is going to often be included with your oil. Because in the community, us as consumers, people are looking out for the Indian one, right? But um, right now, the ISO, as I, I was rambling on, <laughs> the ISO um, is, is, is identifying a ton more of geographic types. And for instance, right, like people that are rose uh, passionate about rose essentials, they, they'll know this, but a lot of people don't know this, that there's, you know, four stable and identified geographic types of rose. Bulgarian for Damascus, Rose, right? Bulgarian, Turkey, Morocco, and Turkish peasant type. And so that's what the ISO has done. And it means that now, because we have a standard reference or value and property for each of these geographic origins, the people that are working with the oils and defining properties and the scientists that are also working with oils have a, have a higher uh, degree of... Um, of detail within the variations within the same same oil. And that means that us as consumers, will, will, that will mean that we'll have access, hopefully, down the line, you know, once these uh, geographic types are very well um, defined, we'll have specific use cases and variations for them. And so it's a kind of a circular argument where geographic origin is important and has been given if people know about it but there's so much that is unknown. Like, for instance, basil essentials, the origin is, is not very well marketed, although there's so much variation in the chemotypes and the, and the origin of the basil. And so, I, and so I'm confident that, and I'm hopeful, that as uh, we define more and more geographic types, we'll have, as clients, more and more information about the origin of the, the oils, and it will also be available for well, also enable us to uh, use them accordingly according, according to their distribution and um yeah and so and so and also uh, so coming back on the same question there's a whole different aspect more pragmatic aspects where the iso they say that on the on their principle of nomenclature um guidelines they state that a latin name is to be given if no common name is accepted for the plant right mm -hmm. okay so they don't require they don't say that it's like a, a necessity to have a latin name although i think that it, it's very useful and it should be included and it is included which is good but they also say that if a plant has the same common name which happens a lot right right um uh you have to distinguish it by its geographic origin just as you pointed out as you hinted in the question um so that we know that we're not dealing with the same species. So if we have, you know, Spanish, uh, Spanish helicrees and Italian helicrees, you know, that Spanish will be referred to 
as Helicrisium stoicas and Italian as uh, Italicum. So, right? so, so, but the, the problem I see with that is that there's a big flaw because many species, just like the eucalyptus, they grow within the same same country, like Australia, the Centre of Diversity is Australia, right? So if we follow the ISO's recommendation on naming and origin, they say, well, you know, if you have the same name, just use uh, the geographer. It doesn't apply for for Australia and eucalyptus because they nearly all come from there. So what, um, so what they've done is they've just applied different common names for each of the main essential oils. But the problem with that is because there's no rules about common names, you know, no rules about valid and unvalid common names. And common names are so different according to which part of country or even the world you are and what language you use. Um, that opens up a huge dilemma. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so, the, the, uh, so the origin should be given, but it should never be given, in my opinion, without the Latin name. So that's where I diverge from the opinion of the ISO. And I honestly think that it is only with a combination of common Latin name, origin, intraspecific epithets such as ver uh, var varieties, cultivars, hybrids, and chemotypes that we can have a safe way of picking an oil. Um, because really, the ISO's recommendation, in my opinion, um, you know, is not precise enough. And, you know, I'm getting a bit geeky and technical about it. <laughs> and obviously, uh, essential oil, buying essential oils is a fun thing that a lot, you know, there's a lot of subjective aspects. Do I like the smell? Do I want this in my house? Do I like to want, do I, do I want to wear it? It doesn't have to be all technical and it doesn't, you know, and it's so a balance has to be found because not everyone has a passion for botany and not everyone's going to take the time to, to double check everything. Right. Right. That was going to be my follow-up. I'm like, how do you, how do you, what like level of importance do you put all this at for somebody who's um, running kind of a business and yeah. uh, how do you, how do you simplify it or how do you make it so that everybody can try to meet these standards for, for of course, for safety reasons, but yeah. Um, yeah what's your work around this? Yeah. So I think that, I think the main takeaway really, like if you're running a business and uh, you're, well, you know, you're, you're selling, buying and selling oils. Um, I think it's, I think there's, you can't be too careful and can't be too informed because right now the central market is exploding. There's, uh, I, I read somewhere recently while I was doing my online course, there's something like a, you know, like 25% increase in, 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 in domestic use of essential oils and projected 10 years or something like that, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. So um, a lot of people and a lot more oils and diversity of oils are available on, on the, on this global market. So, you know, back some, you know, in the seventies and all that, when, when the first people were really starting to sell oils in, in mass, there was way fewer oils and the people that were interested in oils were a much more select group of people that may have already been in contact with herbalistry, botany, and other aspects of, of, of the plant world, and uh, that were more specialized in a sense. And now I think it's a great thing what's happening. It's, it's There's a democratization of natural remedies, of alternative therapy, and aromatherapy is one of those ways that people are seeking for a different way of healing and, and pre preventative care. But this leads to a lot of new people that have come in through the perfume route, the emotional, uh, you know, kind of relief uh, side of aspects, you know, and 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 all the, even through brands, you know, people a lot of people have been pulled in through different brands that like uh, attract a lot of people towards um, 
essential oils. And so if they haven't had the same um, intellectual um, journey to get interested in essential oils, and, and it's just anyone, it's, they're just as legitimate as anyone else. But the thing is, there's, there's a lot more people and a lot more diversity of people interested in essential oils. So as a, as a, a wholesaler or someone that's running a small essential business, for instance, um, the market's changed so much. And, and as I said, there's so many new people. I think it's really important that you um, become really, really aware of, of the potential um, dangerous confusion that may arise and of all the different technical aspects of the oils on the naming and identification side, but not only on other aspects such as the, the proper chemical identification, the proper um, testing to avoid adulteration and so on, and ethical aspects of it as well, on all the main aspects, you know, which will be naming, uh, ethics, conservation, sustainability, and so on, and health, uh, just because it's your role, really. You know, you don't want to you know, someone comes in and just buys, asks you an advice and buys a random oil and goes back home and, and you know, takes too much of it and, 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 and you know, damages themselves and their family. That's, it's not, it's not optimal. So, and for the, um, and for the personal use cases, you know, uh, obviously the more you use oils for a specialized task and the more your oils are used with, within a higher risk manner, for instance, if you're curing acute uh, illness, chronic illness that are quite severe, or if you're using them internally or, or if you're using a lot of oils, then you're exposing yourself to a higher risk, right? Uh, it's much riskier than if you're just using them for perfume, um, house cleaning, right? So according to what degree of risk you're taking in your you know, use of essential oils, how you integrate essentials in your life, I believe that will define how far you'd be required to get you know, the knowledge required to really identify the oils clearly. Because, right, I was teaching, just a little segue, I was teaching botany uh, since I'm 19. I've been teaching botany to herb to herbalists. And so, but despite, you know, giving them all the tools, you know, even I, I have all, I've got all the books. I've got a lot, I've spent my whole life, however short it is, you know, studying botany, but I'm still prone to making mistakes, right? And I remember one specific case. I was doing this walk, and we were going through all these plants. And I said, "Well, we're going to have a let's let's try out our botanical skills and all harvest safe to eat plants." And I said the names, and uh, we'll have a salad, and we can eat them afterwards and speak about their properties. And so I was sifting through the baskets as the as the students came back, and uh, one of the students, you know, had picked um, digitalis purpurea instead of Sanfitum officinalis, you know. Uh, purple digital instead of uh, common comfrey, uh, which is a deadly mistake, right? And and so I could show him straight there how to recognize the differences in, in each of the plants and not do that mistake again. With a central world, we haven't got the plants in our hands. We're not herbalists. We don't go out and pick. Some of us might distill plants, but a rare amount of us really distill plants. These plants that come across the world that have been highly transformed. They come in a packaged and branded bottle, and there's a disconnection of a plant world that, you know, that can lead to issues. And that's what I'm trying to, to emphasize, however, you know, technical it might seem, really the takeaway for someone using oils, and especially, as I said, in a specific way, is that they should always be very aware of a common, accepted Latin name, geographic origin, 
and any uh, chemical variation within that species. And uh, and uh, that's a minimum. You can't. You cannot. In my opinion, you cannot allow yourself to use oils in a very, um, you know, medicinal, medical type of way if you're not 100% confident that you can reliably identify them. All right. So it's the same with plants. You can't eat plants. You know, I, I tell my brothers, don't eat this plant. And my little, you know, my little brother, he's young. He's around. He's nibbling at all the plants. Right. He can't. <laughs> You know, he, it's not good for him to just try any plant without knowing how to recognize which ones he shouldn't eat because he's putting himself into trouble. And that's the same thing with essential oils. But the insidious part is because it's so transformed and the, and the, and the issues that you get from misuse of essential oils are oftentimes chronic and, and can be misidentified. Then we don't get the immediate feedback of like, shit, I didn't use the right oil. Shit, I did a mistake. Oh, this is not right. <laughs> <Come over>, right? <laughs> So um, not only are you into essential oils, but you're a conservationist. And I was wondering what um, the potential hazards are for for naming and conservation. Yeah. So um, on Earth, there's about three to 400,000 vascular plants, so plants that have a vascular system. Anything from ferns upwards, you know, um, mosses and algae don't have a vascular system. But there's 400,000. And all these 400 or 300,000 plants uh, vascular plants, there's about 3,000 commonly distilled for their essential oil. So there's only a very small subfraction of those plants which are commonly distilled for their essential oil. And within those 3,000 commonly distilled essential oils, there's only really around 300 which are globally traded at big quantities. And so, but, so this means that there's a, the impact of essential oils on conservation because of the small amount, the, sub, the tiny little subsection it represents in the global diversity of plants, um, you know, might, could be argued to be lower than herbalistry because herbalistry we're using way more plants. And oftentimes we do a lot more wild harvesting, whereas um, essential oils, a lot of them are cultivated. But how does naming fit in with conservation, right? Well, the thing is, if you don't have, right, so, so some plants, for instance, I mean, a good example that I always bring up because I love it, it's um, the, the example of rose, right? Damask rose. Everyone knows damask rose. It's an amazing oil, smells amazing, and it's been around for thousands of years, right? But the thing is, damask rose has a very, very complex botanical origin. We name it, you know, the, the accepted name right now in Latin is Rosa X Damascena, right? So there's a hybrid because there's an X in between. So we agree that it's a hybrid. But scientists that looked into it have realized that there's actually not, probably not one hybrid, but what we call one hybrid is a complex of several hybrids, right? And so what that leads to is, let's say you have, this is hypothetical, in what we call commonly Rosa Central, there's actually four different hybrid origins. Right now, it's, there's not enough definition and, 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 uh, and enough stability in, in how we recognize them, so we're not sure. So we're just using that one name, right? On the Well, roses is, is, is mostly cultivated, so it doesn't really apply. But let's assume for this example that rose was, cult, was wild harvested, like a lot of the wood essential was wild harvested. Well, because we're only using one name, um, all the roses... But are within that name, although there might be four subpopulations, one of which might be dwindling and near extinction, 
are fine to be harvested because we say, hey, look, there's a huge natural distribution of rows. There's a load of them, right? And so it's not a problem. They're not endangered, right? But actually, because we haven't got enough resolution in the name of a rose, we miss up. We we didn't realize there was actually four different things in that, and one of them was about to disappear, and we're still using it a ton, right? And so, right. wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that that happens a lot more in um, in the case of herbalistry because there's a, a lot more plants, so it's much likely, more, much more likely to happen. But one thing relating to conservation as well, not necessarily just the biological conservation of a species from extinction, but also the uh, phenotypic and chemical conservation of species. If we don't have a proper naming and understanding of variations and the stability of these, uh, what uh, be it geographic type or, or chemotypes, then what might happen is that we, as essential producers and, and consumers, we're just kind of... Um, we're omitting that diversity and we're blending it all. So first of all, we're using different things in the same way, which is not optimal. And secondly, we might be um, cultivating them and mixing them up, you know, and getting them to hybridize and diluting their singularities and their stability, um, rendering, you know, rendering the chemical differences, which is also a form of diversity, um, much lower. That often happens when we cultivate plants. We often you know one of side effects could be reduction of of genetic diversity and so and so because we cultivate a lot of uh, the essential plants that's another conservation aspect that's very rarely spoken about but in my opinion is is quite significant that that's so interesting um because i i guess i just never considered that aspect of it and how it seems like there're just layers and layers on this and um which might kind of intimidate some people, I guess, at this point, or um, maybe inspire some others to to be more prudent about what they're buying or what they're doing. But yeah. what um, what do you see the industry, the future of the industry in aromatherapy with labeling? Do you see it as getting better and uh, more solidified in how it approaches it? Or do you kind of see that because now it's growing so much that it's growing a little too fast to kind of mm -hmm. regulate that way? Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think I think there's a bit of truth on both, you know. I think the fact that it's growing so fast and the fact that there's this kind of economical boom, a lot of people are profiting from essentials or anything related to essentials, you know. Um, you know, that's kind of diluting the uh it, it, you know, it's kind of making it harder to regulate because there's so much it's just like this explosion. It's just like how when um, a similar thing that's happening right now is, I guess, uh, the electric, electric, sorry, electronic cigarette thing. You know, oh it, yeah, it's mm -hmm. this new, you know, it's exploding so fast. Uh, regulatory bodies are kind of having a hard time to catch up. But on the other hand, I I think that how because since the 1980s to now, there's been an explosion of scientific articles treating essential oils and their properties and their toxicology and whatever. So there's there's never been in the history of science so much work put into understanding essential producing plants, their molecules and how it work and how they work. And so that in that sense, just like how I tried to say it, maybe I rambling a bit, but in that sense, that information that scientists are gathering is going to trickle down within legislations and then down to us, uh, the consumers, you know? So it's kind of a, a circular thing where 
really, um, because we have way more information about oils, we're now able to more stably distinguish geographic types, chemo uh, chemical types. We're also much better identify potentially dangerous oils and so on. And so we have um, like a, a better vision. We have a better understanding. As years ago, we, we're growing really fast in our understanding of our objective understanding of how oils work and, and, and their benefits, their risks, and, and how they relate to each other. And so that, I'm confident that in the future we'll see that. And we're already seeing that through the ISO. Because they've, you know, they're doing a huge amount of work standardizing a ton of species and a ton of geographic types, although it's not finished, you know. Um, and one thing that I think might happen in the English-speaking market, but it's already happening in the French-speaking market, is that because uh, that we use more and more chemical data hand-in-hand -hand with the botanical name, common name, and origin to, to, set, to secure, to anchor the name of the oil, right? So now every time you go into France, I mean, I think every single oil, I don't know if it's a rule. I mean, I haven't looked it up, but every single oil I bought in France for the last year, they, on the packaging, they always have the first, at least the first, but sometimes the first two most concentrated molecules within your, that batch. And so that's amazing because to me, right, the main difference and the main challenge linked to naming essential oils and that's made it hard until now for us consumers and for, legis for the legislation uh, is that an oil is not a one-to-one -one of a plant that it comes from. You know, when you name a plant, it has its letter name, that's it, right? Well, more or less. But an oil, you know, you can produce so many different oils from the same plant according to... As we said, where it's from, what chemotype, and also the cultural way we just did it, you know, the extraction method and everything, the cultural surroundings around that oil, where it was extracted, although it's the same plant, it'll produce radically different oils. And that's where the gap between naming really lies, is because the chem isn't we're not we're not naming the plant anymore. We're naming a very small subsection of its aromatic molecules which can vary according to culture, origin, and so on, as I just said. And so that, in my sense, that would be my desired future, my, the ideal future for central identification, is that we integrate more and more chemical naming along with you know, the botanical naming. Because the downfall of botanical naming, as I said, is that we're not naming a plant, we're naming an oil, and that's different. And that's where the, the gap is, is, that's where the problem lies in my opinion. So I, this might be a little off subject, but I wonder what the implications are for, for researching the benefits of certain oils. If, um, if you see that there are gaps in some research that some people aren't doing their due diligence to say that, oh, this oil is good for this and this, if it, if it varies so much by chemotype. Yeah, so if I've understood correctly, what, um, you're asking me if... If you notice gaps in research because yeah. of the uh, lack of... Uh, looking yeah. at chemotypes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and more than that, I mean, the thing is, researchers, you know, they they are also in a, a bit of a pickle because, you know, they come along with um, some, you know, a lot of essential plants are highly have highly been modified and transported and hybridized and have crazy origins, and humans have been using for so many years that um, you know a lot of research come along come along and. The because the identity of a plant is so unstable on its botanical, you know, sense, you know, like citrus fruits is a really good example. I mean, all of us love uh, Neroli or, you know, or, or Petit Grain, right? Mm -hmm. But because 
the taxonomy, like the way we understand what each species is, is so unclear. Within the scientific literature, you also get a ton of uh, that transcripts into the scientific literature, but because you know, unless you have a clear identity of what you're studying, then you might end up, you know, studying a small subsection of it, uh, the totally the wrong plant, you know, and that ends up creating problems. And also, uh, you know, within the guy, within the same idea, and and the speaking about problems in scientific publishing and uh, within the central um, market. There's also a huge, uh, it's, it's a growing industry. So there's also quite a lot of lobby, lobbying going on, uh, where, whereas you know, large essential companies and countries will lobby uh, towards recognition of one chemotype over the other, you know, or, or will lobby towards the conservation of one name against the other because you know that's really important to their economy. Uh, so that's you know that's always a problem in science, and I guess it's not an exception in essential literature either. So um, leading on that, what kind of takeaways do you have for maybe consumers and maybe aromatherapists working with uh, clients and maybe even just retailers or wholesalers that yeah. uh, could possibly help them in their business or just in their daily usage? Yeah, well, I think the takeaway really is to, as I already said, is to identify whoever you are, what you're doing, is identify the amount of you know, the degree and nature of your use of essentials. So if you are now a therapist, you know, you are paid to, to treat people. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure and I'm hoping that you have a very solid and deep understanding of the oils, probably much more than I do. And, um, and so that, you know, and so that's, that'll be a requirement for you to understand not only what they do, but even before that, how you can identify them. Because if you know what an oil does, but you can't fully reliably identify which one does, you know, which one it is, then you know that that causes that causes a problem. Uh, for wholesalers, it's the same thing. You know, you're you're kind of responsible. You're you're putting not only a reputation, but you're also um, in some cases getting legally bound to uh, how you are advertising the, the amount of information you're providing and the amount of uh, you know errors that might induce. And uh, and so you know, I, I've recently been involved in helping. People set up a shop and, and and look at their botany and and their inventory and the, the naming behind the oils and and it's not an easy task and I understand that and sometimes it's a bit daunting, but just like anything, you know, if you want to become a great artist, you know, you have to go through a boring process of learning the technique of it. it takes hours, and I guess if you want to become a reliable aromatherapist or a distributor, or if you just want to use them reliably in your family for, you know, for real medical purpose, then I guess, you know, this is just my opinion, but it would be wise to become accustomed to the basic techniques of, identify of identifying the best oils and the right oils reliably, you know. Well, and you might even have some options to help people, right? I Do you offer a class or a course with all yeah. this? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, this is my first ever course. Um, you know, I've been teaching for a while and I love teaching. And um, so this is my first ever course. It's an online course. And it really it addresses not only naming, which was a very specific, very detailed uh, talk we have today, but it englobes all the major aspects that one, as a buyer, you know, wh however, whatever level of buying you're doing, if you're doing wholesale just for your family, 
you may want to consider. And all the different techniques, tricks, and tips that you can derive information and value from the from from what's given to you uh, as a consumer. So that goes from you know obviously as we said naming, but it also touches a lot on uh, uh, the whole chemical aspect, so the testing, the reliability of different testings, uh, how to use the standard values provided by the ISO to test the test that are provided because you know uh, there's an, and and. Well, I could go into detail, but and uh, <laughs> and and uh, and it also goes in in depth because this is my expertise on how and to identify sustainable oils from non-sustainable ones reliably using the most relevant tools that are available to us. And so, really, it, it holds your hand, and it's a really comprehensive course that takes a bit of time to go through. But I, I would hope and I believe um, will really enhance the way you see. And buy oils. It certainly changed the way I see oils. You know, it 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 gives you that security about what you're buying. You know, it can never be hundred percent sure. But with this course, I believe you can be as sure as you can be without doing tests yourself on on the oils. That's awesome. And where else can people um, get in contact with you or find out what you do? So yeah. So if if you guys want to see what I do, um, you can find my course at arabognosis.com. That's the website it's hosted on. And, uh, and uh, really, that's, that's where I am at. That's, uh, I've got a Facebook group within the course, um, and uh, that's how they find me. Um, I haven't been very good on my social media. so uh, <laughs> It's for the best, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and um, so I'm offering, there's a, currently there's a 20% discount on my course for whoever might want to take it. And the discount code is JAHNAHA, so J-A-H-N-A. H-A. And uh, so if you log that in, you should get 20% off. And, and um, well, anyway, I hope there's really the talk helped. And if you're interested in more, you know, there's a ton of really good articles and books out there. And there's also, you know, my resource. So definitely check it out. All right. And thank you, Josh, so much for um, taking the time today to sit down and talk to me and talk everybody through this. Uh, we hope you are interested in speaking at the 2020 conference. I'm sure this would be really interesting to a lot of people that come there. So I'll have to get you a speaker application before it's all said and done. So yeah, that'd um, be awesome. thank you again for um, being around today. And Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Beyond Aromatics podcast. Thanks a lot.